Hey everybody, you know Game Topper's Kickstarter is over, their third successful Kickstarter, but that's okay because their late pledge manager is still open to whether you've ordered something in the Kickstarter and want to change it or modify it or just add something that you want to get. You can head over to GameToppersLLC.com, check out their tables, their fantastic mats. I'll tell you, those mats are just so nice. So nice. I will never not play. I will never not play on a Game Toppers map if I have mat. Wow. Let's try it again. I will not ever, no, not never play. I will always play on a Game Toppers mat. There it is. Got rid of the double negative with a positive. Did you know some of those mats are maps? You know, they are maps. So if I would have said maps, it would have still fit. That's absolutely right. Got them scotch guarded. They are well treated, ready to go. Who knows where that Berkey genius is going to next with some of his products. I hope he doesn't have any issues meeting his uh, Kickstarter pledges. But be sure to get those pre-orders in soon. Head over to GameToppersLLC.com for your all your gaming needs, all your topping needs, all your map needs, all your mat needs. Just head over to GameToppersLLC. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, you will hear reviews of Merv, The Heart of Silk Road, the solo game Sylveon, and the new chicken sandwich from Bojangles. Plus, the guys look at hobby game sales figures from 2020 and the top-selling games from the spring of 2021. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. Can you guess which one? Hello and welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 235. I'm sorry, y'all. The name of this episode... <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. My name is Marty. And I'm Tony. And I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to begin here. I, I, I'm, I'm totally lost on multiple levels here. Are you? Yes. I actually put this one in early today, the name of this episode, seeing if you would do some research on it. I guess that's a no. I would guess not. So that song was very popular in uh, Not $5 Worthy, the 40s, I think maybe late 30s or uh, 40s time frame. Most people know it from Danny Kay. Okay. And it's a song about an amusement park and a vendor, and he's got these coconuts selling them or something along the, some carnival game maybe. I don't know. I didn't do a lot of look into it. But the original person who sang this actually uh, had uh, millions of records sold on this song, and his name was Merv Griffin of the Merv Griffin fame who did the game shows Wheel of Fortune and oh. Jeopardy. And we're going to be talking about the game Merv, the Heart of Silk Road, which is all about trading. Look at you. You tied everything together. I was, I'm glad that I let you explain that because uh, I'm sure the audience was just to totally lost too. So, Merv Griffin, hold on, what, what's the tie in with the song? So, Merv Griffin sang this song. Mer before Merv Griffin was Merv Griffin was still alive? He did, the, he recorded this in the 30s and 40s, and he made shows in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, well, the man died in the 90s. Yeah, I think it was. I'll check that and make sure because Lord knows I don't need to be, you know, paying people money on this. He sang it in the 30s and 40s. 
Just, just, just tell the people what's on the show while I. All right, let me tell everybody what's coming up. So obviously, we're going to be doing a review of Merv, the Heart of Silk Road. I've got a solo game we're going to be talking about. We've played a lot of lots of games since last episode. I went out of town, had a little family get together with several little party games, except for one. I did pull out and teach my family Lords of Waterdeep, so we'll be talking about that. And we were supposed to have a. Mountain Dew taste test today with the other flavor of Mountain Dew that that Tony brought me. So there is a uh, last time it was like Baja Baja Punch or something like that. No, no Baja Punch is what we are taste testing tonight. Okay, so last time it was something else. It has something with pineapple in it. Right, right. And of 1950s, by the way. I'm sorry, it was recorded in 1950s, sold over three million copies. There, now that I'll go with. That's okay, so go with. okay. Merv Griffin fame, who made a lot of game shows. All right. Tony brought me these two cans, and this had to be at least a month ago. And I guess he assumes in a house with three other people that those cans will make it that long without being opened and consumed. So I go to the fridge to get this can that I was supposed to do for a taste test tonight, and it's nowhere to be found. So we will have to postpone that until I go get another can. My plan was for us to taste both of them, but somebody's calorie count couldn't manage both cans in one night. Did I finish the other can? I think I no. handed it off to somebody. You I get, handed it off to somebody. You gave it off to somebody else, but you couldn't manage those two in one night. And I'm just like, give up a little bit of your calorie count. Just back off on it a bit. And we could have tasted, but no, now I have to transport. By the way, you cannot find Baja Punch in the grocery store right now. I could not find it. Look, if I'm going to consume calories, I want it to be in food, not drink. You know, I don't worry about it myself. I keep my girlish figure or whatever figure it is. Uh, Speaking of consuming food, last week for the first time, I don't know how long, I had a double-decker moon pie. Now, I know we're all about moon pies here, right? But I'm going to be honest. I rarely have one because it is a stupid amount of calories, and the best ones are the double-decker. Every once in a while, I have a mini. And the reason why I had a double-decker moon pie is because a listener from the show, Bo, from Minnesota, was visiting family in Columbia, South Carolina. He contacted us and came up from Columbia to meet us just right outside of Charlotte for a game night. And I was like, well, Bo, you got to have a moon pie while you're here. So I bought him a box of moon pies and we broke it open and we each had one that night. And a double-decker moon pie, the big ones are actually three moon pies in one package. Is it? Yeah, a big double-decker moon pie. You cut it up in thirds, and there is your serving. Ah, gotcha. Okay, all right. Well, that that makes total sense. So, yeah, we had a moon pie that night, and uh, he was wanting some good southern barbecue. So we met at a nice barbecue place uh, nearby, and we all had some really good... I had a barbecue salad. You said nice, but you didn't do air quotes. What constitutes a nice barbecue place to you? 521 barbecue, I think, is good. That's where we ate. Oh, I thought uh, atmosphere, when you say nice. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I'm just talking about the food. The food. I mean, the silverware came out wrapped in a napkin with the sticky white paper around it. So I guess maybe for you, a nice restaurant is to get individual silverware. Instead of reaching into a plastic bin or pushing the little silverware dispenser, I don't know where you're going with this. Are you are you are you putting down the five twenty one barbecue? No, I'm trying to figure out what you constitute a nice barbecue. You were talking more about taste, not the. I'm talking more, about more about taste, not atmosphere. Not about atmosphere. But I got to give Bo credit. So he asked what to <laughs> order, 
and I told him a pork barbecue. And then for the sides, Tony, I, I, I'm proud of him. He ordered collard greens mm. and fried okra. And oh, he had never sorry. had fried okra before. And he liked it. Another thing he had not had either, which I think he fell in love with, was hush puppies. Mm. So at the beginning of the meal, right when you order, they bring you like free sample of hush puppies or a free basket of hush puppies. Man was chowing down on some hush puppies, Tony. And then putting a little bit of the honey butter on oh, it. Yeah. So, and I mean, all that is is fried corn dough. That's it. That's a hush yes. puppy with seasoning. Yeah. We probably clogged some arteries that night. And your calorie count, my God, you had a moon yes. pie. Yep. I, I like how you justify, I got barbecue on a salad. <laughs> So let me eat this 320 calorie moon pie real quick. Look, I had to. I, we were with friends. I I just I had to participate. Uh, yeah, I'm going. I'm going. I, forget them carbs. I'm just going to throw it on a salad over here. I got 12 pounds of barbecue on this salad over here. Oh, oh but it was so cool. So afterwards, we went to McAllister's where we've been playing our weekly games because, you know, we got the uh, tumblers where you get refills for 99 cents. And we're regulars now. There now. They know us by almost. They don't know us by name, but they knew us. As soon as we walk in, they, they make sure that we got, we're taken care of and everything. Yep. And we sat there. And I think the only game. Oh, no, we got to play two games that night. We got to play Omega Virus. Uh, the new two-player game from Restoration Games, which is kind of a teaser or announcement for the upcoming remake of Omega Virus, which everybody has been asking for. It's a it's a cool little two-player game where you're trying to create patterns with these cards to find keys, and you have to put items together using the cards. And it's hard to explain. Anyway, it's going to be available at Gen Con, and uh, it's also going to be available on their website. But the whole thing about it was, hey, guess what's coming, everybody? Omega is Omega Virus. I believe you are correct. That yeah, right. com- coming out uh, later. So that was really cool to see. That was a small game we played, but that's where we played Merv with him to talk about on the show tonight. And if you're having trouble explaining the rules of Omega Virus, I cannot wait till we talk about Merv. There's one specific thing I want to talk about Merv that made that game for me. So we'll do that uh, when we get there. Okay, speaking of taste test, Tony, last year, was it two years ago? You remember when Pipe Op? Popeyes, wow, that was horrible. Popeyes came out with their new chicken sandwich, and it was the craze across the country. You couldn't get into a Popeyes because there were lines wrapped around the place. Uh, you couldn't get into Popeyes because it was COVID time, and they were closed. No, two years ago when it came out. Oh, two. I think it's been out that long. Yes, because the first time we had it is when I came back from Thanksgiving in 2019 from Mississippi, and we had to stop and and try one. Okay. And I've yet to try one. I've yet to make it to a Popeye's. There's not that many in our <gasps> You in our haven't area. tried one? It's good. Okay. It's good. I thought, eh, it can't be that good. It's good. So, not to be outdone, our favorite local chicken chain, Bojangles, said, oh, yeah? Boom! We have a chicken sandwich now. Have you had one? Yes. And knowing that I was transitioning from our downtown office to my office out at an op center, I needed lunch. I couldn't take my lunch in. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pass the Bojangles. I saw this on the show notes. So this will give us something to talk about. So yes, I stopped at the Bojangles and I ordered a chicken, the new chicken sandwich combo with seasoned fries Mm. and um, the Mountain Dew. So Mm -hmm. there went that calorie count. But anyway, yes, I tried it. And... Your chicken was better than mine. Mine was nasty. Really? What was wrong with it? I think they had stale buns. Wait a minute. Was that on a special bun, though? It's mm-hmm. supposed to be on a special... Okay. 
All right. It was a spe- the bun was dry. Oh. The chicken was dry, and it looked like it had been oh. double fried. It was. Oh, I'm it was, sorry. It was chewy. the The best thing on that thing was the dill pickle. A huge, huge, thick sliced dill pickle. It's like, where are you finding these cucumbers? Because I need some of those. Oh, you're lucky. See, I said I got the reduced size dill pickle. <laughs> oh, no. I was like. Okay, so this is going to be, you know, to point out a video that you just released over at the YouTube about, you know, your opinion. If I were to judge this based on one taste test, my opinion would be this is crap. Yeah, that's that's a shame. That's a shame. It's funny. So Vanessa got one and she just got one for all of us to try. We took a couple of bites and really enjoyed it. So yesterday the boys wanted a whole one. So we went to our local Bojangles. I ordered three. Pull up to the window and they say, oh, you got the last two. We don't have a third. Would you just take a Cajun filet sandwich instead? So I said, fine. So the boys got this the new sandwich and I got the Cajun filet. So now I still have a taste for the new sandwich. So uh, I'm going to go again this week and hopefully it was a better experience than, than you. I hope so. I mean, I know this was an anomaly because normally you don't see that. I could tell that I should have taken it back, but... Mm-hmm. I'm not that kind of customer. I'm going to go ahead and and eat what I mean. That could have been how it was, but it did look like I was happy that I got quick service and I was happy that I was able to partake in this sandwich. But I was like, this I got to try this again because on the commercial, mine looked nothing like that. <laughs> it never does. It doesn't, but it looked like it was very lightly fried. And yeah, I mean, when it's that dry, you're like, oh my gosh. I mean, the bread was moister than the chicken. Oh man, I'm sorry. Yeah, give it one more. Give it one more shot. It and, happens. And see what you think. I actually want to do a side by side taste test with Popeyes uh, down in uh, a little town near us, Indian Trail. There's a Popeyes and a Bojangles right beside each other. So I want to go and get one of each, and then we sit there like split it and decide uh, which go. we like best. Hey, have we covered all the food topics? I believe that is correct. We are done with the food here. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I can't think of anything else. We're good. I got to tell you about something I, I got really cool in the mail today. Oh, by the way, we broke a trend. Oh, what's that? You're supposed to talk about a game first. We're supposed to hook yeah. them with the game, but we didn't do well, that. Well, you knew, you knew that wasn't going to happen. I mean, oh, okay. it, that's uh, people People are already thrown off by that anyway. But this this is related to a game. So I get home, and there is a, uh, a box here for me from Board and Dice. So I open it, and it's a heavy box wrapped in plastic. So I start taking the plastic. It's like a saran wrap type thing. I start taking off the box, and sand is falling all over the floor. So I'm very confused at this point. So here I have a box, and I'm taking this wrap off, and sand is everywhere. So I take it out onto the deck. Finished unwrapping it with sand falling everywhere, and inside is this huge wooden box. And on the top is a uh, an inscription on the lid talking about we've come to Earth to help uh, set up a civilization here. You're just like they're from other worlds, and we're here to help you out. And uh, they said, but first you got to get inside this box, and you need to figure out how to get inside of it because the box has a lock on it. And it's one of those with a three-number lock where you have the little, the little toggle wheels mm-hmm. with um, three different numbers. And scripted on top of the box is, I don't even know, maybe hundreds of numbers, little tiny digits. And I'm like, oh, great. It's a puzzle. You know what? 
I'm just going to show it to you. Hold on. A few moments later. All right, here's the box. I see the box. On the lid, you probably can't see it. Yeah, there's I can. Just, there's tons, see, tons of numbers on there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sitting there looking at this. I'm trying to find a pattern and something like that, and it's just not coming to me. So it's, it's kind of bothering me because it's like, I really want to get into this box before we record so we can talk about its contents. So I took out the dog for a walk, and as I was walking, an idea hit me. Now, if anybody's seen this box, I know some other content creators have gotten this. If you don't want to hear how I found the solution, then then kind of go away for a few seconds. Or just continue to listen to us like you normally do with the background noise. <laughs> you won't even pay attention. <laughs> That's right. Nobody's paying attention. How, how long are we? Let's see. We're about, what, 15 minutes into this show? Yeah, yeah people out. tuned out about five minutes ago. All right, so there's all these numbers on here, and I'm sitting there trying to look, and they're really small. I'm sitting trying to look, and then as I was walking, I went, wait a minute, Marty. Maybe I don't need to look specifically at the numbers. Maybe I need to pull back and try to get the bigger picture. Dun, dun, and then dun. I wondered if the numbers happened to form other numbers. So I came back and looked, and I happened to notice like lines of eights. Sure enough, if I trace out the eights, it makes an eight. Oh. So then I started looking in the middle of the puzzle for another uh, number that was etched out. And then from, and basically it was eight made of eights and like a four made of four, et cetera. And when I found all three, popped open the, the lock, got it open. And inside is where all the sand came from. Oh, look at all the sand. Inside was a half a box of sand, a little hammer, a brush, and a little pick. Along with this plastic card. Okay. And it says on here that you have one more puzzle you need to solve. And there was like this, uh, almost looked like a fossilized type thing. This thing right here, this is a little plastic circle mm -hmm. with uh, numbers one through six around the outside, was inside a, like a brick of sand. So I had to use the hammer to chisel out. The sand, like I was, you know, with the digging fossils, getting uh, artifacts out of the ground, use the brush to brush it off. And then when I put it onto uh, the little puzzle, it says, turn left so many directions, turn right so many directions. And you line up the arrow at the bottom and it gives you like a four digit number. And then at the very bottom of this little plastic insert is a website that you go to where you enter in the final four numbers. Mm-hmm. And what this is, this is a huge promotion for their brand new game, Origins First Builders, which is a, a new Euro game that's based, that has like a really cool dice mechanic in it that's going to be coming out. I think it's either September or October. So this was kind of a promotion thing to get it ready to go. But I'm glad that I solved the full thing because everybody, there, there's a reason for this story. Because we solved this, Board and Dice is going to be giving us two copies of the game to give away to some lucky listeners. Wow. That's what's on the website. It's like, greetings. Guess what? You've uncovered the biggest uh, mystery uh, this universe has created. As a reward, we're going to be happy to give you two copies to give away. Nice. Yep. You know what? For me, there would have been a bolt cutter on that lock. I knew you would have done that. You're darn right. I got bolt cutters. Why not use them? No, nah, see, it's good because we're used to holding things far enough away so that we can read them <laughs> with our arms. 
So it's good that you were able to see that. What's going to happen is, is we're going to get a copy of this game to review on the show at some point in time. Uh, when we do, during that episode, we're going to find some way to find two winners to give away two copies of the game. And Tony, so I got to play uh, one of the gentlemen that works at uh, Board and Dice. His name is Rainer. And on Tabletopia, he showed me uh, how the game works. I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but I'll tell you this. Really cool dice mechanic. At the beginning of the game, uh, you roll dice and your dice end up being your workers. And there's different colored dice. You remember Coimbra? Mm-hmm. How the values and colors meant things. Right. So you would claim a certain color dice that was your worker. And if you went to that spot, you could take the action for that particular color. But what was cool was there was a little dial uh, right above where you put your worker. That's going to either value is a value of one through six, like a D six. The die you put there must be equal to or greater than the value that the dial is set to at that point. Okay. And if it's not, you have there's a resource that you can pay to get it there. But as soon as you go there, the dial ticks up one spot. So if it was two, it goes to three, etc. When the die gets to six, it's retired. You have what you then use it is to increase your population. So what you're doing is once you earn a worker, eventually it will get to the point where it goes out of your pool. And then you have to work to get another worker to replace it. Mm. So it's this really, really cool mechanic of of this dice that are constantly ticking up. And then we'll go away until you claim another one. But it's also a tile laying game because the purpose is to build a civilization. So you claim tiles, put them on your table. By putting certain tiles together, you create combos. So it's a cool dice worker mechanic and tile laying game. I am more proud of you now than I think I've ever been, that you were able to secure a prize for our listeners. Look at you. And you didn't put it off, that you didn't look at it and say, I really don't want to mess with this right now. So that is, I, I am, that is awesome, dude. Because when I was reading the show notes on this, I was like, don't roll much. The placement marketing box. I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to hear what this is because I got, because I'm sitting here going, Origins, do I need to research a board game that he's going to talk about? So I have something that's coming in October. Uh, I got nothing. So I'm like, okay, I'll just sit back and enjoy this story of this fantastic box in this But it was cool to have this aha moment as Uh I was walking the dog. It was like, wait a minute. I, you know, I I get those in the shower too. Well, the showers are, they're, they're therapeutical. Water. Yeah, they are. I've had many problems I've had to work on from work or something like that. And in the shower to go, oh, that's how you do it. So, yeah, I can't wait. This is actually one of the games I've been really looking forward to. It's one of my most anticipated games of this year. So I cannot wait to try it. And I can't wait to give two copies away. And speaking of giving things away, I know you recently was able to finally make it through all the entries for the Name That Bit. Uh, that wasn't me. That was our buddy, Ben. Who oh he did, did that it. for us? Yes, thank, thank you, Ben. Or people would still be waiting on that prize. Yep, uh, uh-huh. that was uh, taken care of. The winner uh, got eighteen right. He should be doing this podcast. Wow, that that was really really good. That's amazing. Dang, I would have. I got four, <laughs> <laughs> and only because I played some recently. No memory, no memory. And um, we're working on uh, the t-shirt giveaway. We'll be contacting our winner of that. That's, uh, I got to get that done, but we will make sure that happens. I tried on my new t-shirt from Sir Meeple. Uh-huh. I'm not like you. 
I like my t-shirts to be big. And my wife yells at me all the time. She's like, that looks like a bag on you. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm comfortable. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm sitting there going, this, this feels good. And she, I put that on there and she smiled. She goes, I really like that. And I've, I got the one, of course, is don't make me squirrel. Uh-huh. And she's like, that looks really good on you. I go, why is that? She goes, well, first off, it doesn't look like a bag. And I go, well, Fair. thank you. Thank you. And I go, but it's an extra large. And she goes, yeah, but your sleeves aren't all stretched out. And, and it's a nice, that fabric It's a 5248 blend. So it's 52 cotton. So it's not a 50. It didn't feel slick to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was real pleased with that. And I'm like, the best news is I can put it in a dryer. Ah, you know, we're about shrinking. Yeah, because that, that irritates the mess out of me when a shirt shrinks up, and then when you lift up, your belly is showing. You know what I'm talking about there? You don't oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But long story, I mean, short story long. That, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> where are we going with this is the fact that we do have our, our winner. We'll be contacting them. And so by the time that this episode comes out, you should have been contacted if you won. So congratulations. Hey, we got another big announcement today from Capstone. A couple new games are coming out. And I'm a big Alexander Fister fan. I typically like his games. Name one uh, of them. Name one of them. Mario Cabo. I've never played that. You haven't played it? No, you won't let me. But probably, Tony, our favorite for them is Great Western Trail. Yes. Love that. Yeah. Game. And I'm looking forward to the, the new version of that. But anyway, he has a brand new game coming out called Boon Lake. I'm just going to read the excerpt here. Explore the landscape, build houses and settlements, raise cattle, and develop an infrastructure. This is what's cool, though. Consider your actions because your opponent will also benefit from the action that you choose. The action then determines how far you can move your ship along Boon Lake. So I love things to where when somebody gets to take an action, we get a benefit in return. In fact, Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about that a little bit later with Merv. So I am super excited about that. Plus, speaking of Maracaibo, is there's a brand new expansion that's going to be coming out for that too. So if you want to, head over to uh, Capstone Games, and you can see all the details about those there. Now, I'll try to find that on BGG so I could do a little research so I could have something intelligent to say, unlike what I recently was talking about with our shirts, which you can pick up at sirmeeple.com, by the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, I couldn't find it on BGG. It's not been listed yet. As of this recording, it's under embargo, but as of tomorrow, it won't be. So this is well before. By the time this episode comes out, everyone will know about it at that point. I understand. Was this in our email, our RDTN email, or is this Marty? It sure was. So this was Marty's special email. Oh, no, it was in the one I don't read. Okay, I'm good with that. You don't read the press releases? Yes, I read the press releases, especially oh. when they come in in my personal email. I read them. I'm just, I'm just yanking your chain, man. All right, look, have you, did you play any games or anything? Let's see. The last game we played, well, it's been hot here in the Carolinas. And generally what I'll do is I'll set up out on the porch under the ceiling fan, but it's been too hot for that. But the last one we played was with my mom and my aunt and my uncle again. We drove up and saw her and we played one that's been uh, re-released called No Thanks. Mm, yes. And very simple card game where you're trying to build sequences and the lowest number in your sequence is your points. And part of that is you can tell that based on the card that's turned over, you can say, donate a chip and say, I don't want this. No, thanks. Mm-hmm. And it goes around the table until someone eventually the chips outweigh the penalty from it and they take it and they get the chips. Chips are minus one point towards your final score and you keep playing. 
So we finished this, and people love this game. But it is obviously not for my family because they said, no, thanks. You don't need to bring this one back. I said, okay. <laughs> wow. It's nothing against, once again, an opinion. And they were just, it did not grab them. Not like Bonanza. Bonanza grabbed them. Ah, gotcha. But I don't, gotcha. I think it was the fact that we played with five people and the strategy was not there. They, mm. they, they were just taking the cards. They weren't trying to push the chips. They weren't trying to force it. Trying to, you know, what, what's the benefit? And I'm looking at them and I'm like, you don't, no, don't. don't." And so it's kind of like in blackjack where someone gets out a sequence and the rest of the table gets mad at you because you should have stayed, but you hit and you mess things up. Should you stay or should you go now? No, that's no. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts is the title for this one. Oh, sorry. My bad. That's about it. Other than Merv and, and no thanks. We really just haven't, we keep recycling. We keep playing patchwork and uh, mandala stones and Carcassonne. Donna loves her Carcassonne. Someday I'll get her to play an expansion. I went to the mountains with my family, my immediate family, and also my parents and sister and her family. So while we were there, I pulled out several games. One's a brand new game called Castle Party from DeVere. Uh, this is a flipping right. The theme of the game is, is you have a piece of paper where you need to get some monsters into a party. They've been invited to your party. And you try to best as you can strategically draw them onto the grid for the goal of getting points. It's your, kind of your typical roll and write, but there is something that's kind of neat about it. Whoever is first player is going to flip over a shape. And it could be like three in a row or four squares. Uh, they're all kind of, they're all adjacent to each other. And the thing is, is you're going to have to draw that shape on your paper. There's going to be a monster in each of the squares that you draw. So the person who drew that card gets to orient it however they want for them to draw on their paper. Then everybody else around the table must draw the way it's oriented facing them. So they don't get to rotate or to flip or anything like that. They must look at the shape that's there and must fit it on their board. But then what happens, each person has a hand of monsters. What you do is you put out on the table, you actually create the shape with the monster cards in your hand, they're little square monster cards. So you recreate the shape of that uh, first initial card that was flipped. Once that's done, everybody must draw that onto their board. And then the goal is a typical flipping, right? You try to get as many in, in a row as you can. Some will, There's different ways of scoring. But it's one of those things that's really neat to where the first person dictates the, the orientation that those monsters are going to go into your board. And then you have to go from there. And if they're over the edge of the board, they go into the moat. They're minus one point. So that's how you have negative points at the end. There's three different ways of scoring. When a scoring triggers, you pick one of three ways to score. Like I said, there was, you know, most in a row, et cetera, like that. And once you score one way you can't score that way again so you have to use up all three different ways of scoring person the most points at the ends wins it's clever little flipping right the only thing was there was a lot more downtime than what you think there would be mm-hmm. okay. because when you're trying to fit shapes on the board you you've played rolling rice before you're sitting there thinking well what monster do i want to put out onto this shape to make it fit really good on my board here so that I can score this thing. Mm-hmm. So everybody's doing that, right? And you really can't you can't decide what you're going to do until you see what the person before you did, right? So okay. somebody may put it in a spot that you wanted to go and then all of a sudden you can't. You got to put your monster in one of the other spots, etc. So it is a cute little rolling rights. So if you like rolling rights, it's got a cute theme and it adds 
special relations on top of special relations because how you orient it, usually you get to flip and rotate and put them on your board however you want. Not with this one. You keep saying rolling right, but it's a flipping right. Flipping right, yes. But I knew I knew what you meant. But no, no dice sure. were used. Yeah, flip a card and then you resolve that card. Okay. Then you go through the deck and basically you count up points at the end, like I said. So it, it's a cute little game from Devere. Okay. Castle Party. Castle Party. See, what amazes me is that you took the family up to the mountains and they allowed you to take games. I took a whole bunch of games. I took way more games than I ever got to the table. Now, one you handed off to me from, is it Big Potato? Big Potato. Snakes. You asked for this one and I knew that you were, you said you were going up there and I knew that there was a certain player count. So I was excited. Plus this, this seemed like your style of game. Imagine a Trivial Pursuit style game mixed with Werewolf. Yeah, so I'm glad. Yeah, okay, talk to me. There are these roles that are passed out at the beginning of each round. You're either a snake, a mongoose, or just a regular human. Okay. And then there is a question that you're gonna everybody's going to try to vote on to see what the answer is right. It's choices of A, B, or C. And these questions aren't your typical Trivial Pursuit. It's not like, what's the tallest mountain or whatever. It's these really... Odd questions that you probably will not know the answer to. Mm, mm -hmm. You have your role secret to yourself except the mongoose. The mongoose reveals themselves and the purpose of them is people can trust what they're saying because they know they're not a snake. Everybody closes their eyes. The uh, moderator says, okay, snakes open your eyes. And then you flip over the question card and the answer's on the back. So the snakes can see what the answer is. Then you flip the card back down. Everybody opens their eyes. The snake's goal is to try to keep everybody else from getting the right answer. So they're trying to lead people astray. Okay. They're being snakes in the grass. Exactly. And so after about two minutes of discussion, everybody gets to vote. You either vote A, B, or C, or say you're a snake. If you get the answer right, you and everybody else who got the answer right is is your total points. So let's say me and Vanessa were the only ones that got it right. I would get two points on my paper. The more people that get it right, the better. You get more points. The snakes get points for however many people got it wrong. Okay. You do that again. Everybody, you take in the rolls and you send out the rolls again and do another question. And you keep going for an X amount of rounds. What's the purpose of saying you're a snake? Oh, just just when you flip it over, it's like, hey, I'm the snake, by the way. Because you already know what the answer is. Oh, I thought maybe you'd give it the answer and then you say, oh, well, or... I'm the snake, and therefore, I don't... Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yeah, so as you're playing the game, the snakes are going... You know, they may... Snakes are going, oh, it's answer A. Oh, yeah, for sure, it's answer A. But the answer might be B or C. You're just trying to throw them off the trail. Okay. So we played one full game and realized the mongoose wasn't doing much. So we tweaked it a little bit. We tried it another way. Now, listen to Moo House ruled it. We made the mongoose like the seer. So what happens is the mongoose didn't reveal themselves, but when everybody had their eyes closed, after the snakes got to see the answer, the mongoose got to see the answer. So then the mongoose could help out the other people. And we actually liked that way better. Okay. Because I would hate for hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of play testing to be right and, and not try that. But no, as long as it works for you. You know how I am about that that house rule, but did you? Are you sure you read the rules? Are you sure it wasn't like a longest road thing or anything? positive? Okay. Positive. You know what didn't go over very well? What grab well with six people? Why it got really chaotic mm. with six people? This is the first time any of them have played, so I was moving all their ships for them, and so basically we resolve, and I'm the one that's moving the ships. And I think it'd have been better if I'd have let them move the ships. Yeah. But I will say this is the first time I've ever seen a game end after two rounds. Wow. Yeah. 
my dad somehow got out in two rounds and nobody stopped him. It's, it's really chaotic with six people. It is, you can't plan at all with six people. There's just nothing you can do. Once again, it comes down to the drafting and remembering cards, whether or not, you know, as they are they going to do this certain card? But yeah, I can, okay. Because man, to be able to do that, I mean, the highest card is nine. Well, here's the thing. People would do things to him, right? You know, push him away. Pull, oh. Push him away or pull, you know, et cetera. So he got help along the entire way. I just never seen anybody get out after two rounds. So I thought it was kind of funny. That's that's. Unreal. It was probably best because if we had to play six rounds, they probably would have gotten tired of it. I love the game. I do think four players for, for sure the sweet spot for me. Yeah, I love it too. And generally, that's all you end up with is four players. Yep. So yep. I've, I've used that game on young people. It's always been an intro game for young people, people of my interns. Of course they were young, but I, I've used the game for just, Hey, this is a board game that we would play at lunch. So I miss those days. So you're talking about, can I explain rules correctly? I taught my sister and her two kids, Lords of Waterdeep. How old are the, her kids now? 11 and 15. 11 might be a little tough, but... It, it was a little tough. She needed a little bit of help. She was doing fine. My sister, I think, could be a gamer. She got into that. Mm-hmm. She enjoyed Lords of Water, And I haven't played in years. And I forgot how much I liked that game. Did you use Scoundrels expansion? Nope. Nope. I kept it very simple. I know this the Scoundrels expansion makes it way better, but I just want to keep it as simple as possible for them. But... It is a solid worker placement game for me. I still enjoy it. I still really do. So that was cool to be able to teach them a little. I told them, I said, I told Tori, I said, and my sister, I've been teaching you party games and stuff. You get this, you're playing a real legit hobby game. Okay. I figured you would have pushed that off on her you know, a while ago. It was finding time to sit down and do stuff like that. When you're together for birthdays mm-hmm. or holidays, you don't have time for Lords of Waterdeep. I had a captive audience. Yeah, they were in the mountains. Exactly. They weren't going anywhere. There were banjos playing. They could hear them. They knew they weren't going anywhere. Don't look yeah. at me with that face of, of where did I come in with the deliverance tie-in? Come on. Well, that was in Georgia, not North Carolina. Actually, it was in Tennessee. Oh, hold on. Will you pay me $5? Was it, was it, was it Tennessee? I know where, I think that's where it was filmed, so I could be getting myself I, I, confused. I don't care where it was filmed. Well, it was filmed on Fontana. I thought it was filmed on the... Um, it wasn't, it wasn't the New River. Reuben County in northeastern Georgia. Give me five bucks. I'm giving you five dollars. Where was it filmed? I don't care. I do. That's not the point. Okay, hold on. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was primarily shot in Georgia. You may be right. Hold on. Okay, so I was right. I, I may be giving you five dollars. No, they, they were. It was, it was filmed in Georgia, and it took place in Georgia, and some of it was actually filmed in North Carolina. Okay. I knew it was, see, I don't know why I was thinking Tennessee, because I was thinking it was on the Fontana Dam, Fontana Lake. And so that's, of course, there's a dam, so there's a lake. Oh, they they, they filmed some of it in Natahala. Natahala. On the Natahala okay. River. Natahala River. Okay. Oh, and, and some of it on Chattanooga River. So maybe that's what you heard, too. So anyway, that was my experience teaching all those games to them. And they came out of the mountains alive. We went to a little place called Waynesville. It was super nice. They had like a folk music festival. Mm-hmm. They closed the streets and uh, it was a lot of fun. They had a lot of good food there. A lot of good music. Man, there was a good big band uh, group there. They were from, I guess I guess it was Asheville. It was just a, a really cool, probably about a 25-piece big band. Played about two hours. They were good. Did you go do the waterfall tour? The waterfall No, nah, we didn't okay. do anything like that. Okay. I appreciate that you took it upon yourself to carry the show by playing all these games with your family. And I thank your family for doing that. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, we also, I've got also broke out the brand new Rivals deck from Vampire. Uh, Bert and I played last week. Uh, if you're into Rivals, you're going to want to check out these print two new decks. I'll be talking about them more later. But two brand new mechanics. Thin Bloods have the ability to get extra actions per turn. So instead of just two, they could take more actions. And the Tremere have a whole new concept called Rituals. It takes two actions to cast a ritual. And you have to populate the ritual ritual with your blood. So you pull blood from vam- your, your color blood from vampires to put on the card. But there's a really cool combo thing here. The Tremere has the ability to replace somebody else's blood on their vampire with their own color blood. So let's say you have some vampires out there. I can remove your blood and replace it with mine. So when I do the rituals, the ritual says you must pull blood of your color from a vampire, not necessarily your own. Mm. So I could deplete you of your blood in order to charge up this ritual. So it has a little bit more depth to it than what the standard decks came out with. It's on pre-order right now, and uh, it's it's really cool. I like both of those. Haven't played in a while. You'd have to reteach me the whole thing. That's what's so sad. I have no memory anymore. It, it just goes out. What is it you tell me? Prevagen. For years, we have talked about Miniature Market's line of gaming accessories called Game Plus Products. This line includes all sorts of products from game bags to card cases to dice, card sleeves, dice trays, dice bags. If you're looking for a gaming accessory, and especially for organizing and carrying your games, then they may have a solution for you. But here's the great thing about it. These products are very well made but they're not very expensive. For example, they have four different styles of board game bags, all of them $24.99. They have two types of card carrying cases that will hold 650 sleeved cards and over a thousand unsleeved cards. Each of those, each of those $11.99. And then they have a smaller case that will hold 250 sleeved cards or well over 500 unsleeved cards for only $6.99. Plus dice trays for $3.99, bags for $1.99, and a whole range of dice ranging any wear from three to eight bucks. I have a lot of these products and I use them all the time. Very well made and very durable. And if you're interested in trying out one of these products, then I'm happy to announce one of you may be winning a $50 gift card to Miniature Market. This gift card can be used towards any of these Game Plus product lines or any of their board games. But if you happen to win, I do recommend at least picking up one of these just to see how nice they are. In fact, everyone who attended our last strike event in 2019 at Gen Con got the nice Miniature Market backpack, and I'm sure they're still loving it and using it today. So how do you win this gift card? There's going to be three ways to enter. One, I'll be sharing a tweet on our Twitter account at Dyson Names. Just retweet that and that will get you one entry. I'll be doing the same thing over at Instagram at Dyson Names. Just like that tweet and that will get you an entry. And if you're a member of our Discord channel, that will also get you an entry into the contest. And you can find our link to the Discord channel over at our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. So three ways to enter, and you'll have until August 24th to do so at that point. We will pick a winner of a $50 gift card to Miniature Market. A big thanks to Miniature Market for sponsoring this contest. And if you want to see all these great Game Plus products, plus all the great deals they have on their games, head over to 
miniaturemarket.com. We're a big fan of Osprey Games. They've been coming out with some really cool stuff lately. And late last year, beginning of this year, they came out with a game called Merv, the Heart of Silk Road. And it was hot and it sold out immediately. But Tony, they've restocked. They sent us one to check out. And I was really excited to try this out because this is by designer Fabio Lapinio. I have become a big fan of his games because the first game I ever played from him. Do you remember Kalamala that we played? Yes. After you told me about it, yes. It came flooding back and then I looked it up on BGG and I go, oh yeah, I remember that game. What I want to emphasize on each one of his games that I like is the action selection mechanic and how typically other players benefit from maybe something you do or you get a benefit from when they do something. Kalimala was the same way. You had these random actions that are set up on this grid and you, when you put out your disc, you would take the action on either side of your disc. If you happen to put your disc on top of an existing disc that was there, the player's disc that's underneath yours gets to take one of the actions. So there's this concept of stacking discs and other people get to take an action of one of those two types during your turn. That removes downtime. I like getting to do stuff and get things on somebody else's turn. And that goes back to Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And and I I understand from that, it also does does not limit your capabilities. Are you willing to take that is the risk and the reward. You have to balance those two from that game. So next game, Ragusa. Now I know you were not a big fan of Ragusa, but that was my game of the year, but it was the same sort of thing. You had uh, these hex tiles and when you put out one of your buildings, everybody around that tile got something for it. They got to take the action. So it's again, one of those things, somebody takes an action, you may get a benefit from it. So when I read the rules and we sat down and played Merv, it had a lot of the same stuff. Now, peripherally, there's these actions that you're taking. And Tony, they're probably pretty much standard fare, right? There's different ways to get victory points during this game. There's set collection. There's collecting resources. There's turning them in to move up a track that could get you uh, more points. There's a couple other tracks that we'll, one in particular I think is really cool we'll talk about. But again, the peripheral stuff is kind of... Your standard like Euro type trope, but it's the action selection mechanic that I just absolutely loved. To boil it down in Tony terms is you're going to collect resources. You're going to take some action. Those actions may benefit you in either getting victory points, which is how you're going to win, or you'll be able to build up other capabilities by gaining benefits from that. In game is collect resources, take actions to get a lot of victory points. But here's the thing. All of his games are like that. And if it was just that, okay, whatever. I've got a thousand games that do that. But there's this action selection mechanic that exists in those other two games that's also in this one. Because in the middle of the board is this grid. It's a five by five grid. And it's randomly populated at the beginning of the game with these tiles that have a resource and an action on them. And what you're going to do is you're going to remove move your pieces around the outside of that grid. You're going to move, for example, when you start, you can go along the top of the grid and wherever you place you take one of the actions in the column beneath it. Right when the game starts, you take one of your colored houses, you put it on that tile, you get a resource, you take the action of that tile. What's interesting is, is as other people start filling in houses on those columns, you could take advantage of places that they've put their houses. So 
the top and bottom of the grid, you look at the column, what's above it or below it. On the side of the grid, you look what's in the row, what's to the left or right of it. And you just activate one of those. But let's say, for example, we've been going a couple rounds and we have a bunch of colored buildings out on the, uh, the grid at this point. I could go to a row that already has a, a few of the tiles with my colored houses on it. I can activate one of those. And when I do, I get a resource from every tile where I already have one of my buildings and take the action of the tile that I selected. But I could select yours. I could select your color buildings and activate action on that tile, plus get all the resources from wherever your buildings are. But then, Tony, you get a benefit. You get some resources in return from me selecting the tile with your building on it. Yes, I get the resource of that tile unless my buildings also have some advanced tiles, which you can Mm -hmm. get later. Then I would also gain those. Risk versus reward. My reward is using your buildings because it has the action I want to take this turn and get those resources that you have because I need those resources, but I'm also benefiting you by doing that. And as you were saying, what's quick about this game is the fact that no one can go in the row or column that you are in during your portion of the round, the four four turns of the round. When your meeple's there, boom, you're there. No one else can come into that row or column. So that's a little deviant then different from Kalamala. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's important because why is that such a big thing? And this was one of the things that kept tricking me up that you got to think about is that also helps determine turn order for the next round turn. There's only three rounds, but there's four turns in a round. So you have mm-hmm. to pay attention to that. Simple mechanism, simple action. But the strategy behind it of what is my risk by using there and activating your buildings to get resources and giving those to you by activating that that portion of that row or column, where will I be in turn order for the next? Because I need to be thinking ahead because if I'm not in the right position, someone could leapfrog in front of me and they could then take the row column that I would want to use. Yeah. So I was going to say that after everybody's taken their turns, the player's piece who's last will immediately get to choose one of the spaces for the turn order of the next turn, either one through four. They automatically get to go to four. They could jump to to one, but they have to pay. There's a resource in there called Mm -hmm. camels. And I could put a camel on spot three, spot two, then jump to spot one and uh, take that space. So you being last in the side of the board will give you the option to potentially go first. Problem is, is if you if you're at the end of that, then you just got to take what is ever, whatever's left over, and then you're kind of left to what everybody else picks at that point. So yeah, we we got stuck a couple times because, or I got stuck a couple times because again, these tiles that has all the actions and resources on them are randomly put out, and some of the rows had the same actions throughout that entire row. And if you really wanted that row, and somebody else went there first you might not be able to take that action. And I think that could have been one of my problems I was having was that the randomness didn't seem very random when they were being put out. That's part of the game, but dang it, this one row has all of that action. Mm -hmm. And that's going to hurt me, so I've got to plan ahead from that time frame. i got to think, what is that going to do? And once again, like you said, when you place that, position where where you want to go to your start marker or where do you want to be next in turn on the next portion you've got to figure out and look around okay if i go there marty doesn't have a lot of camels so he can't jump in front of me 
Uh, Bert doesn't have a lot. Bo doesn't have a lot. So I'm pretty safe taking this row and being at the end or at mm. the, so I can go from there. I mean, a lot of more strategy, more things to think about. When we first started talking about this game, Marty, I thought it would go by very, very quickly. And it did in the first few turns of the first round. But once the homes got on there, once people started claiming tiles to claim resources for later turns, that's when we started to slow down. Just some of the examples of actions you can take. Like I said, one of them is there is a row of cards uh, that uh, produce goods for you. And you could take one of the actions to go get a card from that row. There's this whole concept of which ones you can get. They have camels on them and et cetera, of, of which ones you can pick up. It's almost like a century spice road. You have to go down the pay stuff to go down the line to get maybe to the card that you want. But in that case, you're trying to get as many different sets as possible for in-game victory points. There is a mosque track, which I talked about earlier by paying resources. You can move up the mosque track, which gives you, Maybe benefit some influence, influence some um, in-game victory conditions. The one I thought was cool, though, Tony, was the palace. And this is where you can score points at the end of each round. And you can put out your uh, markers out there to indicate one of four different places that you want to be able to score. But there's a track in that palace that you must have your marker move up to be able to even score. So if I have three markers out there in the three different scoring positions, my marker must be at least up on the third spot on that track to be able to score all three of them. Let's say, for example, I only have it's only on number two of that track, but I have three markers to score. I can only score two of the three. I thought that was really cool because you've got to constantly take an action to get your marker up that track so that you can trigger those mid or those in round scoring, which actually ended up being a pretty big deal. Yeah, because you're scoring victory points. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things. You know you're going to be scoring points at the end of each round as you're moving up, but you've got to take into account, how am I going to get favor of the palace to allow me to score these meeples, which gives me the ability to score one of these four based on where I want to go, and I need to do it before someone else puts their stupid person there. <laughs> oh, and wait, on this round or on this turn in this round, oh, look, he just claimed the stupid column that I needed that lets me do this. Now, this is really cool, too. Another one of the actions you can do is build walls around the grid. So this Oh, is I was building of, some walls. I was telling you people to get away from me. This is the city of Merv, and they were invaded by Mongols. And so at the end of each round, Mongols will invade. And they will take out buildings that's been placed on the tiles that you've been strategically placing unless there are walls there to protect them. You, you can eventually build wall off the entire area so everything's protected. But each action tile must be protected by a wall above and a wall to the left or right. And if there's no walls there, then that building will be destroyed unless you pay a, is it a bribe, of that particular resource uh, for that tile in order to keep your building there. So that's something you got to keep track of too, especially early in the game, because you spent time getting that building out there and you want it to stay there. So you want to make sure to be able to protect it. So one of the actions is build a wall, but the walls get more expensive over the course of the game. They start out dirt cheap, like one resource, but they end up going to like three resources per section. Do I want to pay the bribe slash ransom for this? in order to keep my city there? Or do I just want to sacrifice it because maybe next round, I'm not really going to claim that row, but do I want the benefit if someone else goes there and then wants to activate that? Ah, more thinking to do. 
And there's a lot of stuff going on. There, there's other actions for collecting scrolls, and there are these cards where you can apply scrolls and resources to them. If you're the first to do it, you get resources. Again, there's a lot of ways to generate resources, and this is one of those games where I believe, Tony, you can't do everything. No. You kind of got to focus on a couple things, and that's the path you're going to go. For example, I came in second place, and I didn't even do one, the set collection thing. I didn't do that at all and still came in a second because I focused on other areas of the board. And I came in a distant fourth and got pouty face. <laughs> you did get a little grumpy. Are you are you feeling better about it now or I don't know. I really don't okay. know. I don't know how I feel. I mean this is one of those games where the first playthrough it's either going to grab you to learn. I mean, you, you're going to say, oh, I got this. I understand what's going on here. Or it may take multiples. And for me, I think it's going to take multiples for me to sit down. I didn't pay a lot of attention to how the tiles were placed in the center. And I think that was really to my detriment. That I mm. was not looking at that. I wasn't thinking of tying the actions. I wasn't really planning a lot. I don't want to say it was because I was making sure everybody, because I taught the game. And sometimes when you teach a game, you're trying to watch what other people are doing to make sure everybody's doing the same rules, right? Sure. But I, I just think I played it poorly. I wasn't looking at the center. I was moving my little meeple and he was getting his resources. And then I'd move him again and I didn't play it well. Oh, wait, should I have really gone there? No, I needed to be increasing my, oh, I don't think it's called incentive. It was the one, because I was going to try to collect all influence. the spots. Influence, thank you. Yep. I was going to try to increase my influence so I could do the set collection. I was going to yep. bypass the mosque. I, I had already figured I would give that up. And I did the mosque and skipped the influence. So, And everything's kind of tied together, right? The higher you are up on the influence track, the more different types of goods that you can have, which you're going to want to want because it's the different types of goods that will score victory points at the end of the game. So it's all tied together really well. So let me ask you, do you like this better than Ragusa? Ragusa has been forgotten. So okay. yes, I'm, right. uh, yeah. So here's the thing. I, I just love what this designer does with this action select, selection mechanics from Kalimala to Ragusa to this one. I just think it's really cool that on your turn, you may benefit somebody else or on their turn, you may get something from it. And what it does for me, it keeps me engaged the entire round. I don't have time to get on the switch or on my phone because I might be collecting resources or something like that. And sometimes if I happen to get the resource I'm, I may be needing or something, that may change what I do with the next action I select. It may totally change it. So I really like that. I, I love being engaged on other players' turns. And I think that designer Fabio Lupinio does a really good job of doing that. So anytime he puts out a game, I'm super interested. Oh, by the way, the the arts by Ian O'Toole. And if you know Ian O'Toole, you'll know it looks amazing. The graphic design, I thought the graphic design we actually mentioned was, okay, we got this. We understand mm -hmm. what these symbols mean. It was very easy to read the board. There's no words on the board whatsoever. Right. Yeah, I agree with you on that. So counterpoint, you felt like you were engaged on everybody's move. Yep. I didn't because... Whatever I was left to have to be able to do was based on where your meeples were. Well, no, hold on. Not if you went first. You had to have camels to go first or you had to be in the right place. Well, I'm just saying it's not, it wasn't all, always the case because lots of times I spent the camels to make sure to get to the position I wanted to get. If you have the camels. Well, then you should have got camels. I had camels. That wasn't <laughs> the problem. I'm sitting over there trying to say why I need to get this action on this row column. That's yeah. what I need to do. That's what I need to accomplish. And can I get there? And if you took that from me, 
then I'm like, okay, now I've got to go back to plan B. What is plan B at this time? How do I benefit from that? Oh, wait, have I got the right resources to build a wall to protect my houses? So that's another thing you had to sit there. And sometimes I was like, I was taking the suboptimal move, which you have to do. I thought it was cool too, is when you built houses, if you built walls that actually protected other people's stuff, you got more influence for it. They yes. got a benefit of a wall going there, but you got the benefit of increasing, increasing your influence more by protecting somebody else. There's, so there's these, a lot of little interesting engagements. And like Kali Mala, the action tiles that come out for the action selection are random. Just like this, that five by five grid is going to be randomly made every game. So every game is going to feel totally different. Yes. Cause you had one row. It was the blue, it was the red house row of Marty. Yep. And I'm like, okay. And I knew I was in last and I did take an action that would benefit you, but to keep you from getting all of those resources plus your bonuses. I yeah. But here's the thing. Remember, like we said at the very beginning, if you pick a row or column and pick somebody else's tile that has their house on it, you get all their stuff. So you got all my resources. Yeah, I got all your resources, but I kept you from getting all those resources. You only got the bonus plus the house I activated. It is a little bit of a take that. And towards the end of the game, we all were kind of looking ahead around the curve to the next side. It's like, oh boy, I really need to get to that particular column or that particular row or, ooh, like you did. I don't want Marty to get that particular column right there because he'll just get a ton of resources. Instead, you got a ton of resources for yourself. I don't know. I just like this designer. I, I He just clicks with me. He clicked with me with the first two games. This one clicks too. I've heard a lot of people talk about it and, and really enjoyed it. I get it now. Merv, the heart of Silk Road, man. I like it. I like, again, the actions you're taking a lot of those are similar in other games. It's just how you select the action and get your resources is so cool. And for me, it's going to need additional plays. I'm not poo-pooing the game. Don't everybody come and be hating on me because of it. I'm simply saying I did. I played it very poorly. I did not appreciate. I appreciate the design. I appreciate what you have to do, but it did not click with me. However, I want to play it again. It's not one of those, not like Ragusa where I'm like that can stay on the shelf forever. Mm. This game, I would love to play it again and see if I can do a better job. I I feel like I can, but if you put it on the table and I screw it up as badly as I did this one, then we know where the problem is. It's not with the designer. It's with the player. And I, and I can, I own that. I'm a poor player and I'm happy to admit it. Thank you very much. Merv, the heart of Silk Road from Osprey Games. You heard what I said. If you liked Ragusa, you like Kali Mala. Yeah, you might want to try this. Tony, not a big fan of Ragusa, so maybe this designer just isn't in your wheelhouse. But I like Kali Mala. Okay, one out of three ain't bad. Uh, Not according to me, love. Two out of three ain't bad. Tony, I'm a big fan of the website ICV2 because they give us all this business information and and sales of games and everything like that. Well, they just recently released the hobby game sales in 2020 and hobby game sales were over $2 billion up from $1.68 billion in 2019. Do you think a little pandemic maybe had something to do with that? It might have. I don't know. I guess so. But they said things have been trending up. Maybe the uptick that they saw 
it may it, it jumped a little bit more than appreciated, but there's been a constant uptick. So sure, sure, the pandemic helped that. Plus, it's just the hobby. Yeah, well, here's the thing. There's there's a couple of big drivers here: collectible games, Magic the Gathering. In 2019, they had a 19% increase. But last year, they had the 24% increase. Games Workshop, which is just absolutely killing it. That category drew 17%. And what's interesting in the article here, they said actually hobby board games has shown, shown signs of maturing in 2019. Meaning it didn't have as big of a growth spurt. Uh, but that would change last year with the pandemic and it grew 19% uh, percent, uh, last year. They have a hobby card and dice category. I don't see what the difference is between hobby card and dice and the board games, but it turned up 19% to RPG sales in 2020 went up 31%. So your two biggest movers, RPGs and Magic the Gathering. So a lot of money was had. A lot of us were busy at home pretending we were elves and wizards and battling monsters and trying to kill each other in a card game while casting spells. All right. I can, I can see that. What else yep. are you going to do with your time? Watch reruns. Okay. That's what I did. But here's a question for you, Tony. Let me ask you this. Things are opening up. People are going out and doing more. Do you think in 2022, the growth won't be as much? I'm not saying it's going to go down, but do you think it had as big of a growth spurt as it did last year? My thought is it'll level off not have as big a growth because people will be spending their income on other things. They'll be taking their trips. They'll be doing that kind of stuff, but they will be doing that stuff instead of spending it on these hobby games and board games. They're going to be getting out in the world. They got to, they've been pinned up. They want to get out there. Yeah. And so I could see it go either way. I think personally, that's probably the way that it'll go. It won't have as big of a spike uh, maybe it goes back to 2019 levels, but I guess it could be another way too. those people who didn't really get into board games, got into it last year and maybe they're hooked. Maybe they can continue buying. I, I don't know. I can honestly see it go either way, but if I was a betting guy, I would say that the year over year growth next year would be less than what it was this year. However, we know shipping's an issue and hopefully we'll be talking about that in a future episode. Is that going to impact sales as well? Yeah, that's a good point. We've actually got an at the table episode that we're trying to schedule with a couple um, people, people who know something. In, yeah, people who people know in something. the industry that actually know what they're talking about, coming from two different facets. We're working to get that set up now, and if that goes off well, uh, we want to bring it in and tell us. Okay, I, I kind of want to know, Tony, what was it? What was the norm before the pandemic? And how is it now? And how is it different? So that's kind of what I want to hear: is how much it's changed. Uh, since the pandemic began. And what I want to hear is, can you produce a board game in the United States? Also on ICV2, they came out with the uh, spring 2021 sales and and uh, probably maybe no surprise, the number one game in the spring was Gloomhaven. I'm confused. Nothing against Gloomhaven, nothing against Isaac. How is it still number one? Well, number two blew me away more than, than the number one, Betrayal at House on the Hill. How old is that game? Have they been checking their tables? I'm blaming this ICV too. I'm I'm wondering about this. Okay. And then Wingspan, uh-huh. I, I understand that. Dune Imperium, okay. which has been very popular. Kabitos from AEG. That's a great family game, but it kind of surprised me it was up that high at number five. Root makes sense. 
Azul makes sense. Unmatched. Congratulations, Restoration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now it's probably one of those things, though, that it's probably every unmatched set, I would assume. But Scythe still up there. And Quakes of Quadlingburg. I thought it was Quacks. I said Quakes, didn't I? How about Quacks of Quadlingburg? Okay. And see, nothing. once again, if it hadn't been for Dune Imperium on here, I would have said they printed the wrong table. And on card and dice games, boys, your standard fare. Code name, smash up, coup, exploding chicken, exploding chickens. Okay, here's the thing, everybody. We're recording way later than what we normally do, probably about two to three hours later. And uh, I'm starting to lose it here. <laughs> but uh, number eight, unstable unicorns. Have you ever heard of unstable unicorns? No, I have not. But that's something I need to look up. Uno's number six. Okay. That's fair. Still going strong. And you can probably guess what the number one RPG is. It was obviously Dungeons and Dragons. There you go. I'm just, number two was Cyberpunk and not Pathfinder. I was kind of surprised at that one too. So there's your sales for uh, spring of uh, 2021. And uh, as of yesterday, right before this recording, we found out that uh, a publisher that we worked with and played many games of in the past is closing down. And that's Tasty Minstrel Games. Did they do, oh, why am I talking? I'll just let it go. Uh, number one, Eminent Domain, which is one of the first games I ever played from them. Love it. Another big one, Gentis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hope somebody gets the rights to produce both Eminent Domain and especially Gentis. Gentis is so good. I enjoy I'd like to see that on the table again. But one that I did recently see on the table again when I visited my daughter over the 4th of July over a month ago we actually brought out Scoville. Oh, yeah. And I had forgotten how much and how long that game is. And I, I enjoy it. And once again, her boyfriend, you know, I talked to him about Stone Age and how he was just collecting resources and building a little fort with them. Mm-hmm. And, and Scoville, I pointed out to him, having a whole bunch of peppers is not a benefit. You need to score victory points. And he planted the clear pepper, the ghost pepper. And he says, I've won because I planted that pepper and no one else did. I said, if you want to play your own little game, you play your own little game. The rest is going to play by how it's supposed to be played by the rules. But yes, Scoville, that is still one of my favorite pepper placing games. Have I? I don't think I've played Scoville. Uh, You may not have, but we were playing it at a... um, Queen City, um, one of our many get-togethers years ago, but mm-hmm. she has it now. It's up in her apartment, so I, I'm sorry, because uh, I was going to buy a copy and actually have my own copy because I enjoyed playing it so much, mm-hmm. but I couldn't get it. It's out of print, and I was like, oh, well, she better hold on to that. So, yeah, yeah I, I hate to hear that TMG's going out. Yeah, I do, too. There's some good guys over there. You know, I, I don't think it's the pandemic it, the pandemic didn't start it. I know for a few years they've been dealing with some stuff. I know a couple of years ago they were actually trying to raise money through uh, like, you know, like a buying a part of the company. Uh, so uh, the pandemic may have been what the you know final nail in the coffin, but I know they were dealing with some stuff uh, before that. So I hate to see anybody go out. I hate to see anybody lose their job. Mm-hmm. And I hope that uh, those games that they used to produce will show up again somewhere because Eminent Domain is still one really solid deck building game. Yeah, I still have it on the shelf and we got that expansion. Uh, I need to go find that one. That one, yeah. you're right. That's a good deck building. I love my deck building games. Mm-hmm. 
So over here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names, we've got a slight problem. Uh-oh. We've been trying to get on one of our sponsors, Ignasi. Head over to portalgamesus.com. It'll redirect you to somewhere. Who knows? Where? <laughs> problem is, we're trying to get Ignasi on. Getting that man scheduled, I didn't know he was such a sports nut. Is he ever? How many times have we wanted to set up something with him? He said, I can't. I got a match to watch. I got a volleyball game to watch. I got a football game to watch. So we want to have him on next episode, but we came out to him today and said, hey, how about this? Well, I can't record it this time because there's a match at 2.30 my time, so it had to be some other time. It's like... All right, so we hope next episode to have Ignacion to tell us about, well, actually a game that's sports-themed, Eleven, mm-hmm. uh, which is now you can go and to GameFound and make sure to subscribe there and follow there so you can follow up with that, plus other games that's going to be coming out in the fall. I guess that's where his love of the sports is. Maybe there'll be even more. I mean, Million Dollar Script, we've talked about it. Once again, head over to PortalGamesUS.com. Get those orders in. Get those pre-orders in. They'll take care of you. Love some of their game. Okay, I love all their games. I can't help it. I'm oh Marty, I am going to so try to teach Donna Stronghold Undead. Really? Yes, that's going to be my golden ticket right there. If I can get that one taught to her. Once again, head over to PortalGamesUS.com. Check out all their incredible games, and hopefully, on the next episode, Ignacy will tell us what our real problems are. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Recently, I sat down and played a solo game called Sylveon from Z-Man Games and designer Shoddy Torby. This is a game from the series of games based in the Oniverse, and there's been several other solo-type card games uh, based in the same universe. The reason why I was interested in this one is because this is a tower defense game, and I've always enjoyed playing tower defense games on the PC. It's just, I, I love the idea of you've got something trying to move from point A to point B, and you try to stop it from getting there by putting things into its path in order to deter the units as they go around, try to destroy the units, etc. And that is exactly what's happening in this game. The table is set up as a like a 4 by 4 grid. And on the right side of this grid, in each row, you're going to have a deck of what's called Ravage Cards. These Ravage Cards are like flames that are going to be trying to encroach on the forest and burn down the forest. So over the course of the game, you're going to reveal these cards and they're going to move from right to left. And once they get to the row furthest to the left and they move again, then they're going to destroy a certain amount of forest depending on the strength of that flame. And then surrounding this 4x4 grid are 12 edge cards that have a bloom side and a desolated side. So when you take damage, you take a card that's on his bloom side and turn it to his desolated side. If there's ever a time where you have to turn a card to his desolated side and you've run out of cards to be able to do that, you immediately lose the game. The goal of the game is to get through all the decks that's on the right side of the table and get rid of them, remove them from the game, etc. before the forest burns down. And then at the end of the game, every one of those edge cards must be on their bloom side in order to win. So the concept is, is really simple. You flip over the top card of each of the Ravage decks on the right-hand side and you resolve them. Some of them are just flames and they're just going to immediately move one slot to the left. Some of the cards do things, like they make the flames more powerful. They range in strength from zero to three, but it may 
pump them up by one. So a two would go to a three, a three would go to a four, and the zero would actually go to a four. It may make the flames move one extra position this turn. You may have cards that make you discard card from your hands. There's all these things that are going on to try to mess you up. And what you have in your hand is a hand of cards in order to deal with those. You can actually put out cards into the grid such that when a flame card moves into your card, a battle ensues. And if it so happens the strength of your card is greater than the flame card, then you destroy the card, you've stopped it, great. But if it's equal to, you'll destroy both cards. And if it's less than, then the flame burns down your attacker and just keeps moving to the left. So over the course of the game, you're trying to pay to put out these cards to help stop the flames from getting all the way to the left-hand side. But there's a lot of other cards in your deck too, they can do certain things like just immediately remove Ravage cards from the board or look at the top two cards of the deck in order to set the order so you know when they come out. So you also have a bag of tricks too. You just have to be able to pay for those cards. And then some of the cards are that at the very end of the game, if those cards are in your grid, depending on the strength of those tree cards that are out there, you can flip desolated cards back to their bloom side so once the entire game's over if you have enough cards in play to flip everything back to the bloom side you could potentially win so here's the thing i'm not really into playing solo games for me if i have some time on my hands and i want to play a game instead of pulling out a board game I'm typically just going to pick up the Switch and play a game. And I've said this on the show before. My enjoyment of board games is sitting around the table with other people and having that experience. So I just don't get a lot out of just sitting down and dealing out cards and, and playing myself. But I must say, of, of the solo games I have tried, this is definitely one of the more interesting because of my love of tower defense style games. And there's several modes to this game. The introductory game is very straightforward. Here's a deck of cards. Just start playing. But the advanced game adds this whole drafting mechanic. And before the game even starts, you deal four columns of cards and then you select one of those columns to take. You deal out another four cards for each of the columns and then you turn over this other deck of cards that will have a value from one to four and you have to remove that column so it can't be drafted the next round. And you keep doing that over and over for 12 rounds because you're going to have those, you have 12 cards that you're going to remove columns of cards from. And so that is how you build your deck. So there's this interesting drafting thing where you're looking at the columns of cards you go ooh I really want that column there but this one has some cards that has some really cool abilities so I take that one so when you flip over the next card on the deck to see which column to eliminate you hope it's not the one <laughs> that you wanted so maybe you can grab it next round now there is a little bit of randomness to that to where I wish there was another mode of the game to where I could just build the deck myself and then just tackle the game and, and do it the best I can. You do have that random element that it, you may not exactly get the cards that you want. And by the way, in the advanced game, once you play through the entire deck, you actually have to remove a couple cards from the discard pile from the game totally, which is not so bad because the, after your first time through the deck, there may be some cards that have no value to anymore, so you could actually call those. And you can also change how difficult this game is. When the game starts, you have a certain number of your bloom cards set to the desolated side. So you can either start with three, six, or nine already set to the destroyed side or desolated side. 
And that makes it harder because over the course of the game, you need to get those flipped back up. And you actually have cards in your deck, too, that can actually help you flip cards back up. So there's a lot going on in this small box game. And I didn't mention this. There's two expansion decks in here that you can add even more things to the Ravage deck and to the hand and to your deck yourself. So if you are into solo games and you especially like tower defense games, then check out Sylveon. The MSRP on this game is $24.99, so it's not very expensive. It's a small box game. It's easy to set up. The drafting part of the game does take you a little while. You have to go through that whole process to actually get into the game and start playing. But once you're going, it does create this cool tower defense puzzle that I really enjoyed. It's one of those things, too. Uh, every time that I played, the game was determined at the very end. Meaning, I, well, I remember uh, that when I played the last advanced game, I only had two cards left in the Ravage deck. And I thought, I've got this. The board is clear. I've got some elements on the board that can block for me and attack. And then I flipped over some cards, and they happened to be the ones that increased the strength of the flames. So the ones I flipped over just got bumped up by one. And then the last four cards, one of them bumped up the strength again by one. So it destroyed defense cards I had in play. And then at the very end, when all the cards are done, you have to continually move the remaining flames across to the edge of the board and resolve their attack on the forest. And then I had nothing left to protect the forest at that point, end up losing. So it went from, I've got this game to, oh, shoot, I lost. So as a non-solo game player, I'm definitely going to keep this one on my shelf just because of the genre type of the game. This is really cool. Sylveon from Z-Man Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. usually wrap up the episode by talking maybe a little bit of uh, uh, video games. We're actually going to uh, kind of do a little bit of deep dive into the new expansion that came out on the Switch for Evolution Climate. Tony did not get a chance to get to that. I've been playing it, Tony. You've played Climate, mm -hmm. the expansion for the actual game on the table, right? I, yes. That is a good expansion. It is, isn't it? I had never played the climate expansion until I played on the Switch. I love the concept of heating up and cooling down mm -hmm. and trying to make creatures that can handle the heat or handle the cold. Uh, so I'm enjoying that. So uh, once you get that set up, we'll do that for a little bit. Also, Steam, one of your favorite train games, is now out on the Switch. Yes, and we've got a multiplayer game going, which brings me back to one of the things I dislike most about yep. the Switch. And not about the game, but about that. I don't know if you've taken your turn. Yep, 100%. I wish that there was a little indicator on the icon on the Switch main screen that maybe has a little border around or something that shows that it's my turn. Nothing on my iPad, like my Ascension games or anything like that, show me that a turn's been taken. Oh, it doesn't? Uh-uh. Oh, I thought I thought there was like a little indicator, like a little dot or some of the icons of some of the show has been taken. Maybe like Sagrada. I don't know if Sagrada shows it or not, but on your right, on the, on the Switch dashboard... I don't ever remember seeing that when we've played games to let you know. Yeah. And here's the thing is, and this will be, I'm enjoying learning to play Steam again. I've only played it once with you on the big table and I kind of forgot everything. Uh, the tutorial leaves a little bit to be desired and there's no access to rules on the game. So like now, Tony, today, for example, you and I are bidding on something, but I don't know for what. Is it bidding for first player? 
Yeah, for take the first turn. And, and then learning all the actions because you know you can pick one of the cards like engineer, etc. So I, I've got to kind of relearn all that. I, I will say that the interface of the game is pretty solid. Yes. Have you? I love how they you can put the tracks down. Mm-hmm. You use the uh, joystick to, as a, like an eight directional thing, mm-hmm. and you move it in the direction you want to build the track, and it's just real easy to lay track. Anyway, we'll get into that later. But if you're looking for some good solid board games on the Switch. The climate expansion for Evolution is now out, and now Steam uh, from Acrum Digital is out also. Did you get my chat in-game? Did you see the notification? Okay, so that does work, because you didn't chat me back. I did. I said, I don't know what's going on in this bid part. Oh, so that was after I took my initial um, loan on Steam. So you've already played another turn. Yes. Okay, so it's my turn. All right, very good. Yes, your turn. I think I bid one. This has multiple maps too, which is really cool. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it is cool. So I'm, I'm looking forward to play that. And all oh, Tony, I don't know if you watched it. Did you see the big announcement last week, uh, the reveal of Guild Wars 2 End of Dragons expansion? No, no. I, oh. I, you know, I love the game, but I haven't played after we. I got the one expansion and played for a little bit and then stopped. So no, I haven't been on Guild Wars in a while. Yeah, so uh, a big expansion's coming out called the End of Dragons, which I thought was going to be the last one, but they said, no, no, this will not be the last one. They got some uh, really cool things that's being added. I just saw today that the guy who does the music for it, the track just finished. Um, it's not Jeremy Soul. Mm-hmm. It's the person who did the last expansion, but he he, I really like his stuff. He does a, a good job too. So I actually just jumped back into it over the weekend. I went back to the Path of Fire expansion. Okay. I try to get the mounts. I needed. I got the second mount I needed called Springer, which is a rabbit, which is also need to be used in a living world expansion. So I'm, my goal is I'm going to try to finish. This doesn't come out till early next year, February actually. I'm going to try to finish Path of Fire and uh, and the latest Ice Brood Saga. So it's funny when I jump in the game, I end up really enjoying it while I play it. I don't know why I don't play it more because I played probably about two hours just moving around and doing quests and stuff like that. That's one of the things I'm enjoying about the game. I'm, you know, I'm playing the Ascension's Creed, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Mm-hmm. And it's just the open world concept. I, I do enjoy that. But one of the things I'm enjoying about that game is the fact that I have multiple ways of playing it. I have the ability of either being, and I think this is something that would be interesting from a Guild Wars is I can be a stealth character in Creed or Skyrim or those games that I was playing or a range character or a melee character, depending on how I set up my build, which is different than the old MMORPGs. You picked a style. Uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if you know this, but End of Dragons basically reintroduces the uh Land of Cantha. You remember the Factions expansion in Guild Wars, the Asian-themed area? Oh, I love that one. That one was from a favorite. That's what they're reintroducing is that whole area. Uh, yeah, I did finish that one. What I did yep. finish was the middle expansion of Guild Wars. Uh, the middle expansion is Factions. There were three. I thought yes. Factions was the... Oh, Eye of the... What was the... Um, Eye of the one? North was a little expansion at the very end, but there was Guild Wars, Factions. I can picture it. It's where I am now. It's where it's where the... Um, the Path of Fire expansion takes Nightfall. 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 That's Nightfall the one I really. The that's the one I finished. Yeah, I love Nightfall. Never got back to factions and yep. I, Eye of the North. I think I finished Eye of the North. So, oh, and by the way, after this releases, don't forget if you listen to us shortly afterwards, 
You still have your free comic book day. We mentioned in a past episode that is coming up on August 14th. So if you want to get over there, because in our Discord channel, Marty has decided to become a book person and he has started this thread on books and on his mangum or magnum or something. I don't know what you're doing over there. I'm glad you said that because I totally forgot. In the last episode, I talked about manga and I was trying to get some or manga. Manga. And I, I say it wrong. And I was trying to get some suggestions for it. So, so several people on our Discord channel are also into it. So I propose the idea of a book club where we get together, we pick one book to read, and then we get together and discuss it in our Discord channel. We're trying to decide what we want to do now, but I wanted to leave it open for people who hear this episode. If you go to our Discord channel, you can find the link on our webpage, RollDiceTechNames.com. And you're interested in being a part of a manga book club, come over, give us some suggestions. We're going to vote on one to pick up. You can either read it digitally or get the physical version. Then we'll pick one, set a have a certain time to read it by, get together and just talk about it online. I've never done a book club and I thought this was really cool. And so far we got a handful of people that's interested in doing this. And this is a typical rolling dice and taking names book club. Have your Mountain Dew ready. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do the wine. We're going to do the Mountain Dews because you got to be able to get that caffeine in. I'm, I'm waiting to see what y'all decide and see how hard it will be to get. I, I was not interested in these 24 volumes that y'all were talking about. Yeah, I, I was wanting to start out. That, actually, that was my first premise was it's got to be something that's digestible that people will stick with. 24 is a little much. But if you can find one that's five or six that would that would be great. Oh, and before we get off the video games, I'm sorry. Got together with some people on Discord the other night and played Mario Golf. I was totally wrong, Tony. And the last episode I said Mario Golf, there's no you just can't play a regular round of golf. You can play a regular round of golf. You can play multiplayer round of golf, but the thing that we had the most fun with was battle golf. Holy cow, that is so much fun. You're in an arena. There's nine holes in the arena. The first one to complete three holes wins the game but once a hole is completed it's shut down so if both of you are racing to the same hole the first one that gets the ball in the hole that hole is over and that person has to pick another hole to try to go to it was chaotic fun and they last about 10 minutes it's super quick so i have a question about this play multi i just want to play single player because it's not like i'm gonna be able to get online and do multiplayer you can why don't you just join us i invited you the other night i thought y'all were already done by the time i checked all that out but no but that's what i'm saying if I'm not on multiplayer, I want to play against the computer in tournaments and stuff like that. Not this adventure mode stuff I'm doing. Oh my gosh, the adventure mode. I hated that. That is just a horrible part of this part of this game. And it's it's quick. Nope. Once once you're done, basically you can just say, Hey, I'm gonna to go to this golf course and play a standard round of golf. It's not a tournament or anything like that. But I'm not really paying I did that and it's not like they were competing against me. It was just what I shot. Well, I mean, you can you can add AI players. Oh, you can? Okay. See, yeah. I didn't get that deep into it. And I was like, oh, this is boring if it's just me. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, if you want to come play Mario Golf with us, uh, the Battle Golf ended up being a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. The Speed Golf, none of us like. None of us like the Speed Golf at all. But we played a round of golf. And you could pick either three, six, nine, or 18 holes. So we would play a, pick a regular course, play like six holes, and then we found the battle golf, and that's just all we played the rest of the night. Maybe I'll take a chance, roll some dice, and take some names. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Remember, 
come join our Discord channel. We got some really cool things going over there like book clubs and online games and just a lot of great discussion over there. Follow us on Instagram at Dyson Names and Twitter Dyson Names. See y'all next episode. Well, we won't see you, but I guess you can hear us. Come check us out next episode. I can't drink this, can I? Nope. Now I'm going to be thirsty. Do you need to get no, something else? No, that's fine. This way I won't have to pee. Oh, freaking A, now you're just being cruel. Hmm. I was a little parched. Yeah, but... Uh, mm. It's just regular zero sugar. But but I can't run downstairs, make you... Never mind. Let's, you no, can. I'm not going to do that. I don't have time for this crap. <laughs>